May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. There is a personal finance podcast that I listen to once in a while called Afford Anything. The title itself, the host explains, expresses an important part of her own financial philosophy, that is, with a certain measure of knowledge about earning, spending, saving, and investing, you can afford anything, but not everything. That's the catch. Afford everything is a fantasy for all, but perhaps the 1%. But afford anything is potentially achievable if we look deeply at our own goals and priorities and go through the strenuous decision-making process of choosing which goals are most important to us and then pursuing them with discipline over a reasonable amount of time. But but this is choosing to pursue some goals and it will mean that we put other goals or desires aside. Jesus calls this counting the costs. For which of you intending to build a tower does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it. There's a scripture we can relate to at Grace Church. I even got a text from my friend, the rector of Good Shepherd Wabin yesterday, saying that he always thinks of me when this, when this gospel comes up in the lectionary. I especially like that the word in Greek for tower is pergos, which is connected to the word purgatory. <laughs> As Protestants, we don't believe in purgatory, and yet, now that we're in just a few months of the completion of the Tower Restoration, I feel like I understand what it would feel like to be released from purgatory. And we're nearly there. Jesus says in this scripture, vividly and bluntly, to a whole crowd of people who have followed him out, that you cannot be his disciple if you're not first willing to count the cost. The cost of discipleship may be beyond what you can afford or what you're willing to give up. And you may need to give up many things that people value deeply, family relationships, national and political affiliations, material possessions. Remember when Jesus says to carry the cross, that's the you know, way of execution of the Roman Empire. So he's talking about, are you, are you willing to become anathema to the empire? And that's not because these relationships or things are bad in themselves or are negative in themselves. And the Greek that's translated into English as hate your father, it doesn't, apparently doesn't have the same emotional um, resonance that, it, that hate the word does in English. But Jesus is saying that taking precedence over all of these is one's discipleship and following him. It's a hard message. It was a hard message then, the way that it is now. And there's a number of times in the gospel where people hear this and it says, and then many of those who went about with him did not follow him anymore. One commentary on this passage frames what needs to be given up as detachment from biological family, detachment from imperial authority, from the empire, and detachment from possessions. 
And what strikes me about this list is that there are three primary ways that human beings constitute identity through family, through citizenship or belonging, and by what they have and what they own. Instead, Jesus urges his followers to base their identity formation in relationship to God first and foremost, because this is the only one of those things that never changes and will never pass away. Everything else is mutable. And ironically, it's this radical counting the cost in this life, this radical paring down and stripping away of so much of what human beings typically value above all else that opens the gateway to eternal life with God. Paul's letter to Philemon is very much about this kind of counting the cost. Onesimus, whom Paul is writing about in the letter, is an enslaved person, and he is owned by Philemon. And he is also a Christian. And in fact, Philemon has a church in his house, we hear. Onesimus has run away from Philemon, and we don't know why, and he's gone to Paul, who is imprisoned. He's been serving Paul and caring for him. In the Roman Empire, prisons were only for those awaiting trial. There was no um, sentence. You were not sentenced to a time in prison. So they were where people were being held when they were awaiting their trial. And Roman prisons also did not come with amenities such as meals, for example. So anything you had in prison had to be provided by those who were outside, um, friends or family. So Onesimus is there with Paul, and he's serving him, and he's been there with him for, for a time. And now Paul is writing this letter to be carried back by, by Onesimus, sending him back to his enslaver and commanding Philemon to set Onesimus free. But of course, he's both commanding him and trying to persuade him and also manipulating him a little bit. His reasoning is that one cannot enslave a fellow Christian because they are now siblings in Christ and they have a new relationship. Paul, like nearly everyone else in the ancient world, could not imagine a world without slavery. Slavery was, uh, you know, the whole economic system was built on slavery, and slavery in the ancient world was the result of political conquest. When one kingdom or empire invaded another territory, some people were killed, mostly men, and soldiers, and some people, especially women and children, or those men that had special skills, were taken away from their homes and enslaved in the lands of their conquerors. And this was a fact of life. Um, it was also not permanent. Slaves bought their freedom. Slaves sometimes uh, could become quite wealthy working for uh, their masters and others, and sometimes slaves even owned other slaves. So it's a, very, it's a complicated system. And it was based on politics and conquest and not the construct of racial identity as in our own country until the Civil War. Eventually, the gospel of Jesus would lead many to come to reject the institution of slavery for all time, for anyone, anywhere, because of the gospel of Christ. Others we know, in including leaders in the Episcopal Church, um, such as the Bishop of Vermont during the years of the Civil War, 
would attempt to use the gospel to try to validate this peculiar institution as biblically ordained. And enslaved persons of African descent in the U.S., despite the best efforts of their enslavers, would hear the Bible stories of the Exodus, of the freedom of the Hebrew people, of freedom in Christ, as being about them. And it would help them to claim that freedom in Christ and also freedom from slavery. But Paul is not there yet. What he's saying to Philemon is, you now must count the cost of your discipleship, and it requires you to recognize Philemon not as a slave, but as your brother, and for you to release him. And if you can't afford that, then you can't afford the gospel, because the price of the gospel is all that we have and all that we are. Many hearers of the words of Jesus that we heard within the church as well as without it, put them aside as being impossible, impossible to follow, impossible to implement. They are really difficult teachings. But boy, that lets us off the hook, doesn't it? But I would say to anyone here who's not rejected your entire family, your national citizenship, and all your material possessions, which is probably all of us, I would still urge you to consider what following Christ has cost you personally. If the answer is not much, then we're not doing it right. And we know that, I think, not just in our lives in Christ, but the reality of love. For those of you who have loved deeply and with deep commitment over a period of time, you know that that love is costly. That love that doesn't require sacrifice or or giving up our own will or our own way, at least some of the time, is not real love. That's just a fact of love. And that's a fact of life in Christ as well. That if our, if our discipleship has not cost us anything, we've not been loving God and we've not been loving other people in the way that Jesus wants for us. And we all have very different situations and our circumstances and situations are often hidden from those around us. So I would also say we hear many places in the scriptures that the small sacrifice, the, the making a beginning, counts for a lot in the eyes of God, and each of us has to start somewhere. So though this may sound like an impossible gospel, beginning to live this way in Christ does not have to be an impossible task. Um, I think I mentioned at some point recently that I've been um, wrestling my way through this Christian classic by Thomas Akempis called The Imitation of Christ, and um, Sometimes I find these incredible gems in its pages, and other times I want to throw it not only against the wall, but actually out the window. (laughs) Um, And a lot of it is this intense self-denial that's constantly in the book. But what's interesting about this book, The Imitation of Christ, is Thomas Akempis was a, um, 
that he was in sort of a, it was in the time just before the Reformation. So he was essentially in what we would call an intentional community um, that had some things in common with monasticism. And so he was living closely with a lot of people. So the sacrifices that he's mostly writing about are not these, you know, rejecting everyone you ever knew. They're putting up with the petty annoyances of people who are close to you <laughs> and that you've chosen to live with. And in that way, it's a very relatable book because I think all of us have petty annoyances about our family members, our coworkers, or neighbors. Uh, and, um, you know, that's what it is to live with other people. Um, so in that way, it's very relatable. And I think that that, for many of us, starting where we are means starting with those people that are closest to us, um, especially and thinking about what following Christ would mean, what kinds of sacrifices um, would be involved in loving those people more deeply, which does not mean being a doormat, but it means what, what would it be to really love someone um, more deeply. May God help us this week to follow Jesus more closely, even though it's hard. And even though it's costly, and it will cost each of us different things. And so may we also come to share in the great joy and the great blessings that this way of life will bring to us. In Jesus' name, amen.